Sing out the jubilee with all the fire we can breathe. What's up? What's up? Do you remember that? Asah, bro. I remember people doing it. But what was that from? I don't know. It was a social media trend. So I went to a mom's meetup thing at church this morning. Yeah. And we had a conversation amongst ourselves, the adults. And I'm left pondering it. And it was on the topic of, you know, in the world and of the world. Do you know that scripture offhand? I don't. I mean, it's a common phrase. You're supposed to be in the world. So you're living amongst everyday normal people. The culture. But you're not supposed to be of the world. You're supposed to allow scripture to change who you are, how you act. Where I've heard that is referring to that famous passage in Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but Mm -hmm. be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. That's the proof text for R.C. Sproul's podcast. Renewing your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the moms there were a little bit more extreme with their in and of, in and of, in the world and of the world. Um, what do you mean? Interpretations. Okay. Some are more lenient than others with how much they expose their kids to. And so, for example, like if there's a family member who is a full grown adult and lives with a unmarried partner, like a girlfriend or a boyfriend and lives with them, mm-hmm. how much do you expose your kids to that? And, you know, if they practice different lifestyle choices if they drink all the time or they have full body tattoos these were just examples that were said at the event i'm not making any moral evaluation of those choices myself but is it a friend or a family member it's a family member so it's 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 more tough with family than with friends right because that relationship is not optional i've heard this come up on other podcasts Uh are they coming over for a dinner party and they want to bring their significant other or are you going over there i don't yeah i don't want to it doesn't matter. Okay. The whole, it but, doesn't matter. And then I started talking about how sometimes I feel like the mother hen of the neighborhood because we have these feral kids that get home from public school and they don't have a positive home life. And so they come over to our house because I'm always outside with my kids and I will actually talk to these children that come over and mm-hmm. normally don't have much um, positive adult interaction and yeah. they'll tell me about school and maybe I made muffins that day and somehow I turned into the neighborhood mom. And I don't mind it. And actually, I think it's good exposure for our kids. And I do myself, I lean more to the more lenient side of that spectrum. I really want my kids to know what the world is like. Yeah. If you, I mean, was the goal? We're raising adults. And yeah. If they're supposed to be able to engage and be weird, but not too weird. I want them to be able to have yeah. a conversation. I don't want them to know like exactly what Littlefinger was explaining in Game of Thrones during that one sex scene in the brothel. I'm just saying, for example, they don't need to know the latest explicit show on HBO that everybody oh, at work used yeah. to talk about. I mean, that's already an outdated reference because people watch such niche programming so, more, so much. Mm-hmm. There's not a common culture even around that. You'll have prestige shows, but like, we haven't watched the new season of True Detective, and I doubt we will. Yeah. But when that first came out, everybody watched it at the same time, or it felt like. Yeah. There is a balance. I, no, there's a balance. It's hard. I, I don't yeah. want them to feel like they have to 
watch all of the degraded stuff. They are, they don't need to run out and watch Madam Web, the new Spider-Man movie. No, I think there's a difference between consuming and interacting with. Um, so they don't watch that, but they know that other people watch that. And I that's mm. that's the there's a sort of um, precision that I'm trying to strike, which is very difficult. And I know it. I imagine it only gets more tedious. Like. I want them to be weird by the culture standards, but I want them to be able to interact with the culture and explain why they are weird and why being weird is better than being normal. And even further than that, why you should want to be weird if you are normal. Yeah, that's First Peter 3.15. But if they're too weird, they're not going to ask about the hope that's in you, right? Yeah. They'll just think, oh, there's that weird homeschool kid who doesn't know bread comes mm. from a store or whatever. <laughs> And the other side of this, and I can say that in my life, I've experienced this myself, is with an unintended consequence of sheltering is um, when you isolate yourself, it's easy to adopt a holier-than-thou attitude and say, oh, well, you know, um, I am immune to sexual immorality because, mm. you know, I'm over here and they're over there. I am immune to addiction because they're over there and I'm over here. But really, we're, you know, we're all depraved to the same degree. And so you are just as susceptible um, to those things. And, and, you, and so when you're growing up, I mean, this is, you know, I thought, oh, I could just dabble in this and I won't go to an extreme or I won't have dire consequences for this behavior because, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. Yeah, but um, I think it came out, I think this, even Pastor Chad said this on Sunday, he said all of the seeds of every sin that's happened in the world is in every human heart. Mm -hmm. So like we all have the propensity for genocide just to make come up with the most horrible thing so yeah you don't want to play footsie with yeah. any of those things because i mean even i've done things in my life that i never thought i would yeah and yeah. i haven't killed anybody but yeah you know and so i've i've this is it's really it struck me and i and i like to apply principles to things because it's black and white and it's simple and even if it's hard it's simple and I can't come up with a principle of how much I expose my children to. I can't come up with a rule. I guess that's I think you're phrasing it that way brings out the problem. Uh, there's this came up in a conversation I had with other friends this week. There's a group of people that are the principles people mm. and they are incapable of engaging with the world and living in reality because there's the principles world where you figure out on paper what you would do. And then yeah. there's the prudence world, which is where we actually live, which is, yeah. okay, given my circumstances <laughs> and everything that's going to happen whenever I do anything, here's the best way to act with that principle in mind. Yeah. And so I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule for, well, if you expose them 13% to this kind of degraded content, they'll only be 4% worse off for it, whatever. You can't yeah. optimize and human souls aren't constant variables. And, and, you know, your children, no matter how much you mentor them, they are not your own. They belong to God and they are individuals. And, yeah, you can't control everything that they're going to do and how they react and whatever. Well, and the whole conversation is something that came up in Aristotle. Every kind of inquiry has its own level of precision. 
And this one is not physics. We can't come up with an equation for how to have a perfect kid. Yeah. Even though we want one. Though we might try. Yeah, I know I'm going <laughs> to keep trying. That um, I heard it on another... I heard someone say that the rule in their house is once the kids turn 16, they can watch or listen to whatever they want. But they have to be willing to listen to and watch it with everyone in the house mm-hmm. and explain why they made mm-hmm. the choice. Yeah, that's good. And hopefully by 16, we've given them enough of a foundation. And I mean, if we haven't, it's too late. Expose them to shame. Shame is powerful and can be used for good. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, I like that. The goal should be equipping them to handle that responsibility instead of trying to really clamp down on what they're consuming. I mean, we should do that. Like, I think we should try filtering because I know we've tried to watch. I mean, they're toddlers. These aren't... Well, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, even when they're older, I wouldn't necessarily want them. We just tried to watch Man of Steel, that Zack Snyder mm. Superman movie a few weeks ago because the toddler's really into superheroes. And I had forgotten since it came out 10 years ago how violent it was. It and so really we, is, yeah. We fast-forwarded through a lot. Mm-hmm. If we had a filter, it would just do it for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and we explained why we were fast-forwarding. It's just really violent. We don't need to watch that. Mm-hmm. One thing that was said this morning during this mom's group was um, a good thing about exposing your kids to the world is that they can, you can model for them how to interact with it. And I think that's a good point. Like, what am I going to do when the public kids school, there's one in particular who's going to get in trouble. Public school kids. Yeah. Yeah. When one of them in particular comes over, what am I going to say? Hey, no, you need to go home. Yeah. Or do I, you know, if things get out of hand, I said, Hey, we don't do that here. Right. And then that was modeled for my children and they can replicate that later on, maybe when I'm not there and that happens. And these conversations always remind me of my own upbringing and my parents were super strict. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch Rugrats because it was disrespectful towards children. I'm sure it was. Towards children or? Well, just the name Rugrat. Like it wasn't any more sophisticated than that. Um, I wasn't they were al- also bratty. That's what I assume the opposition would be. That, okay. Like, um, well, you, my Angelica parents. Angelica was like a mean girl. My parents would have had to have watched it to I get see. to that level of filtering. They oh, just so said they, no. Okay. The name is bad. I see. The Simpsons. I think they were exposed to enough to go. Oh no, this is trashy. I don't want yeah. you to watch that. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, and that affected me at school a lot because kids would be talking mm-hmm. about these shows, and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of being out of place doesn't last very long. No. And then by high school, I was watching whatever I wanted. Yeah. But I remember in the earlier years, elementary and junior high, I wasn't allowed. There was a popular fighting game called Soul Calibur. Okay. I'm unfamiliar. Good. Yeah. But uh, I wasn't allowed to play it because it had the word soul in it and it wasn't about the Bible. And so you have to be careful with the rules. <laughs> That you impose on some of these media filters. <laughs> for a while, my mom did ask the youth pastor for a list of equivalent bands. Like, oh, oh. Jace is into Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down. What should he listen to instead? <laughs> now, oh, to this that? day, Skrillex? I... Well, that was dubstep, and that was later when I was older. No, no, not Skrillex. Skillet. Skillet. That's yeah, what it was. That was one. They were Okay. I listened to that first album, but Reliant K instead of oh, Fallout no. Boy. Um, I'm trying to think. Project 86, 
I will say I have listened to them still. <laughs> yeah. Like he just had a new album come out and it's a very different sound genre wise. But a lot of talent there, Christian band, really good. Yeah. But Rage Against the Machine, it is not. And probably for a good reason. I mean, yeah, I probably sure. didn't need to listen to that in junior high, but you were moody and angsty and it just yeah, I wore just all black. I had those itch. big old Jinko jean shorts. Oh, the oh, jort, the long the black jorts. jorts, yeah. Yeah, I can picture it now. I listened to some forty one a lot. Um, gosh, I can't, I can't think of them all at the moment. Avenge Sevenfold went through a big. There was a boy that liked Avenge Sevenfold, mm-hmm. so I liked Avenge Sevenfold. So, and here's where it gets weird. One of the very first concerts I went to, my dad insisted on going with me, of course, because you're not going to drop off young impressionable jace at a rock concert oh i got dropped off as a girl so we came from very different households so my dad went with me and he wore earplugs but one of the first shows we went to was system of a down and mars volta (laughs) it was incredible had a great time your dad (laughs) my dad and me but you said avenge sevenfold that was one we almost had to walk out of because they had i'm sure basically strippers behind them during the set they were headlining whatever show we were at it was great they played well but Mm -hmm. wow some of that satanic and sexual imagery was a lot oh we went to one of my first concerts was uh buzz under the stars which you're you're from kansas city it's nine uh, 96.5 buzz 96.5 and when incubus came on Mm -hmm. they were the headliner everyone was so high and just blitzed they like couldn't perform and it oh. was like the end of the night it was embarrassing that's a shame and you could tell the people in the crowd that was drunk too because they were cheering and then the rest of us were like what is going on and we were like 17 so hmm. we weren't really you know we knew that they were on something but i think we left that just reminds me of one more story from my parents filtering time if you look at the cover art of Iron Maiden albums. Mm. It looks extremely satanic. Super satanic. My mom wanted me to listen to Iron Maiden because she lis- she read a review of one of their albums, or a, it, I think it was even one song. They put to music this old poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, uh-huh. and someone in National Review wrote about it. So Jeez. she thought it was super cool and wanted oh, me yeah. to listen to it. And so I got all of their albums and became a big Iron Maiden fan, Ugh. and that was my mom's fault. I mean, if you're unfamiliar, one of their albums is called The Number of the Beast, and the chorus is him chanting 666, and the cover art is literally Eddie <laughs> holding a decapitated devil. Like, it's over-the-top graphic imagery. I've seen them live, too. It was good. And it's not just ideological things that I object to when you're talking about, like, cultural exposure. I remember even when we had our older one, just in a standard part-time preschool program in home even, which, you know, you say that to emphasize it because typically that means better care, more one-on-one care, mm-hmm. um, more accountability with the providers. He would come home and just be really sassy and like it was an attitude thing. Sure. And not so much the content, but like just the behavior, like the attitude just sucked, wasn't yeah. a fan. And so this morning and more broadly speaking, I'm trying to listen to and talk to older moms who have kids around like the age, any age, like seven to to teens. 
and ask them how these conversations go because there will be a time when he comes home and says, you know, like Johnny has two dads or uh, Miranda told me that you could be not a boy, not a girl. You could be non-binary. What's that? And like... What's the rainbow flag that our neighbor's flying? Yeah. yeah. Oh, what country is that? <laughs> yeah. You could do what Charles Haywood said. He reviewed Aaron Wren's new book, Life in the Negative World. Are you familiar with that framing? Uh-uh. Aaron Wren's a writer on cultural issues, but he's also one of the leaders of American Reformer. We've mentioned them before mm. about Protestant Christianity and politics in America. He has a new book out talking about how Christianity went from being in the positive world where it was a cultural and elite plus to be a Christian. Like that gave you cachet oh, in elite circles yeah. back in the day. And then we went from there to the neutral world where it didn't hurt you, but it didn't help you either. It was like, okay, yeah. it was like picking a color of suit. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the negative world yes, where it costs you to be oh, a Christian in public. True. And so he wrote a book about why that is, how those changes happen in society, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So Charles Haywood reviewed the book, and here's what he said, just to your point about the flag. Let me find it. He said, for example, modern Christians can take control of the education of their children, although Wren opposes insulation to a degree I think incorrect. He similarly objects to parents who boast about how their children are ignorant of the basics of popular culture. Hmm. But it's not true that at some point children need to be equipped responsibly to use smartphones and social media. I, for example, would never consider such a thing. If and when our children leave the house permanently as adults, they can do that. Not before, and they will have a very negative view of such things inculcated in them. And when my children ask what the perfect flag which besmirches the rainbow is, <laughs> if they happen to see it in the wild, <laughs> though around here it is fortunately rare, I say it is a filthy leftist symbol that should be... <laughs> I say that it is a filthy leftist symbol that should be used as toilet paper and then thrown in the sewer, which is all they need to know. And I encourage them to share this fact with everyone they meet if the topic arises. <laughs> Now, I don't know if we should do that, but that's okay. one take. Well, the grandparents are already telling them that airplanes are dropping chemtrails. So. Yeah, that's right. The problem is, too, is that it's like it's already everywhere, which and it's only going to get worse. And so what am I to do? Keep them home and never take them anywhere? No. Am I, am I do I, you know prohibit library visits that's what i'm debating right now i've heard some families do that no that's extremely common i i just discovered that and you know they make the moms make the point that their kids can read and so they could go to the shelves and pick up one of the books that has like the pedophilic acts like detailed in it and it's well what are you gonna do our library is having a it's annual fundraiser in a couple of weeks and the headliner is a drag queen. It's a drag queen. So. And their photo display of the month or whatever is drag strippers, which is on the wall, displayed a whole wall like where you check out the book. Yeah, where yeah. you so like a place that you have to walk through mm-hmm. on the way to the kids section. And yeah. I, I get it, like the place that we live isn't exactly friendly territory, but I so don't if know they if ask oh well, sorry. I don't know if we've shared on the pod, but the four-year-old did encounter his first trans person. Yeah. I went to a printer store the other day, mm-hmm. and it was a man turned woman. So I guess 
trans, trans woman. woman. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, right off the top, though, I've been to this printing store several times since, and he's their best employee. And so, anyway, we went and we had a whole interaction, and I was nervous because I could feel him, uh, my four-year-old. Yeah. I could feel him like looking at this guy, and I could, you could just feel the the wheels in his brain turning. And I'm like, please do not say anything. I'm not prepared to handle this because I have a two year old with me too, who's like behind me playing with staples or something on the table. And anyway, and it's not unheard of. The four year old had met um, someone with a speech impediment at a restaurant and said, "You sound like a robot." Yeah, yeah, that was embarrassing. And then. We do the thing and we get in the car and we go back and I'm thinking about how to, how do I follow up on this? And I said, what did you think of our cashier? And he said, he didn't seem like much of a woman to me. (laughs) And this was after zero comments were made. This was his own conclusion. And he had, you could tell he had already thought through, this is clearly a man who's dressing as a woman and he doesn't seem much like a woman because he's too much like a man. Um, yeah, the category didn't fit. Yeah, and so I just, I didn't make, my, I didn't want to make a big deal of it, and, and yeah. I said, I agree. I think the best approach is just to ask the question mm-hmm. and then answer the questions that are asked. If we dwell on it, then it becomes this weird fixation. Yeah, we were trying to identify which one of our um, maintenance men had talked to him outside, and he said the man with the black hair. And there's okay. a black maintenance man. And I said, did he have darker skin? And he said, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, cool. You don't notice these things. Great. No yeah. worries. The one with black hair. Got it. He just, Yeah. He defines it by hair color. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I'm like, good job. Yeah. To the idea that we have to beat racism out of kids. Correct. Ours don't even notice. Mm-hmm. And I didn't teach him to be colorblind. We did not read him the board book, Anti-Racist Baby. Yeah. So I guess for now, my only principle is that there really aren't that many and i'm kind of just fast and loose with it um you could do the philippians line focus on whatever is true pure yeah etc think about these things i know that we won't be consuming like media the same media that the culture consumes but i want yeah like i said earlier i just i want them to be able to interact with the people that do yeah and it used to be like in education debates you would want a canon so that everybody was exposed to the same literature, the same right. math. Everybody's kind of on the same level mm-hmm. when you're studying a public school, what should be taught. We don't have a common culture anymore. Yeah. And so they'll be biblically literate, which everyone used to be. And that informs, even in reaction, so much of the media that they won't be consuming that they'll at least see what is being critiqued, right? They'll watch enough of what was good in the cultural past that I still think they'll be fluent enough. Like a lot of the movies that are coming out now are nostalgia plays like the girls Ghostbusters or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. He's going to watch Ghostbusters and not just because the EPA is the villain in the first one <laughs> and not just because your mom watches it on repeat. On repeat, dude. Like he loves The Lion King and we can watch all of those old movies and that's fine. We just, I think the big thing is just that you have to be prepared to have the conversation with your kids and not just let them be passive media consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's so much media available for consumption because there's so many ways for consumption constantly. Yeah. 
So in some ways, I, I feel the opposite of what you're saying. I feel like the world is moving at 10,000 miles per hour. Oh, it is. And that's why there's no common culture. Everybody just yeah. finds whatever the algorithm feeds them, and that's going to be different for everybody. Right. So as much as possible, I want to go back. Not go back, but... Make America great again. Yes, but I don't know how possible that is in the way that I'm talking. I'm yeah. not going to establish a cultural canon, but if he watches classic movies that have stood the test of time, mm -hmm. that will be better than whatever Disney p puts out next week. Yeah. Welcome to the Free State Podcast. This is episode 41. I'm Laura. And I'm Jace. Today we are going to talk about some of the fallout from the Ala recent ruling from the Alabama Supreme Court about the personhood of frozen embryos and what that reveals about the state of political debates in America. It gets a little nerdy at the end. But she started I asking feel, me questions. I feel better for it. She's asking me about Hegel, and I just started going. I, I didn't ask you about you, Hegel. You asked. You said, I wouldn't I have need, even been able to, I, who is that? I need to know what Mr. Georg said. And so I told her. Georg? And here we are. And here we are. Okay. There's plenty to work with in this episode, and if you like any of it, or if you don't, let me know. You can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash freestate. And if you don't want your voice on the show, that's okay. Just send me an email at freestatepod at gmail.com. Enjoy. So we got more feedback than normal on our last episode. The IVF. Yeah, the a, IVF lot of, stuff. a lot of people have opinions about that. And so I thought I would go to an expert first. We got this comment from a nurse, and I'll just read it. She didn't give me permission to name her, so I'll just read Are what she said. experts? In this, I mean, expert on this thing. Let's Just see. Let's evaluate her <laughs> comment. I was listening to your podcast, and I myself am curious how they are going to handle this ruling with IVF clinics. IVF has a lot of embryos that are not viable because in normal circumstances, the strongest sperm makes it to the egg. But in IVF, there are not fully mature sperm that make it to the egg first because they don't have far to swim. This is why they genetically say they are not viable. These end up with problems that would naturally abort if fertilized in the woman. If women have to implant these just to have them miscarry, that would be horrible for mental health reasons. This is a slippery slope, and I don't know how they'll navigate it. I wonder if they need to do more testing on sperm to make sure they only use mature and viable ones. I don't know. They play God a lot in those clinics. If a patient says they don't care what gender goes in, they get the clinic gets to pick. They know the genetic makeup of all the embryos before five days conception. That's a good message. That's a really good message. So it's ironic that the science would go against Darwin and prop up these weak blastocysts. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very nature red in tooth and claw, survival mm. of the fittest. Also kind of Hitlery. With the eugenics here. Oh, no, not kind of. Well, and that's one thing that comes up in, to make it about me, in the fertility community, the sperm donation community, there's mm. a tendency for those babies to look similarly because over time, the selected traits, it's eugenics. Oh, god. And so a lot of us, even if we're not related, will have similar features because 
all the people looking for donated gametes want those traits. Like blue eyes or something? Yeah. That's a bad example because I don't have blue eyes. But yeah, certain height or build or even facial symmetry. Oh my gosh. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, it's like the Lebensraum or whatever it was Yeah, in Germany. Yeah. When I was doing all my research for that episode, when the... In, in one of the very early stages that happens before these embryos are frozen is that the cell splits and that one of them becomes the baby and one of them becomes the placenta. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the placenta make up, if not all, the strength of it, the health of it, whatever is inherited from the male sperm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so if you have this inferior sperm that mm-hmm. wasn't, I mean, it's, a microcosm of what the man should be doing to win a wife, right? Mm-hmm. You have to work for it and not in some white knight way. But if you're unable to provide for a family, if you're unable to face the adversity that it'll take to protect them, you don't get to make a baby with a woman. And it's something like sperm cycles over inside a man. I think it's every three months or something like that. Yeah. You can't. That's to say... A woman is born with all the eggs that she'll ever have, period. Right. But a man um, is constantly reproducing sperm. And so, but a man can improve the health of his sperm by yeah. improving his health. That's right. And there, there's some, I don't know if it's evidence or there's some hypotheses that one of the causes of autism, not vaccines, is older. But vaccines. Older fathers yeah i've heard that Mm -hmm. so yeah you can replenish the sperm but it's not just women who hit the wall (laughs) i don't while we're talking about ivf and that message it just see that's not even something that probably anybody would thought of right off the top the unintended consequences of meddling with nature are unlimited the limit does not exist because we are not the creators of this world we don't know everything that could go wrong mm-hmm. and i just yeah it's not worth experimenting it's not worth and it's not even around to find out <laughs> yeah well and the stakes are life and death i mean not to make it too preachy but mm-hmm. it's not even just that we don't know what all the unintended consequences are we can't know and so it's not like That's, oh we're yeah. sacrificing this amount of children Mm -hmm. unfortunately i mean this is just it's necessary for the progress of science you're you're never going to get to a place where you know enough about biology to make this work because it's an algorithm and we've just isolated one variable and we just keep like plugging different things in and thinking that the solution will hold but we don't know we didn't make this algorithm and and it's 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 um it's not revealed to us like this is this is God's mystery, like of creation. Like He did this, we didn't. It is a mystery, and there is a danger that when you approach things as cold and clinical matters of science, instead of respecting the beauty of the chance of how life works, the mm-hmm. chance and in the sense of randomness, when you try to control that, life uh, finds a way. Yeah, it's a bad Jeff Goldblum impression, but that's. That was the problem in Jurassic Park. They thought they could create these monsters and then control them. For their benefit, too. And and maybe this will be a good transition because I know you have some other media that you want to plug in here to to support the docket. But um, it really is when you narrow it down and you analyze the intent of IVF and a lot of these other 
uh, fertility treatments and practices. It's not about the children. It's about the parents. And I'm sympathetic to that because, you know, even especially before your parents, of course, when you have your first baby, you definitely lean more, if not totally, into the category that, like, I want this baby because I want a baby, not because I want to give a child a good life. Yeah. I'm just being honest. The problem with that is that you don't consider what happens to the patient, the, the party, the, the new life that you're creating. Mm -hmm. And you can't even have a discussion about it either, which is how we got here. Why is that? What do you mean? You can't have a discussion about prenatal ethics in any sort of common environment like public school oh, or, right. or with your standard OB. They're yeah. going to be like, well, it's whatever you want. It's just, it's we can control it. It's customizable. It's like your Facebook feed. You don't want to see someone. You can just unfriend them. You can hide their posts for a while. You want to follow, you want to have cooking content on your Instagram? Just follow these pages. It's customizable. You want black hair? You can dye it. Uh, you want an orange car? Go buy it. Um, you just get put it on payments. It's whatever you want, babe. It's your life. YOLO. And that is a good place to pivot. Because the New York Times did a story about this whole case. And it's common on the right to critique the fertility industry and surrogacy and IVF yeah. saying, oh, these women shouldn't go to school. They should just get married and get pregnant. And Wear a hijab. Yeah. So the New York Times found this woman in Alabama who doesn't fit that critique. She's, th oh, nice. she's 31 yeah. and is either in law school or is a lawyer. And so you're thinking, okay, well, here's your problem. But no, she was diagnosed young with a rare blood disorder that said she couldn't carry a child, and even if she did, it would endanger her life. Mm -hmm. And so it was told she could never have children. And so she and her husband were pursuing IVF via surrogacy when this ruling came down. And the, I think it came down a week ahead of when they were supposed to have one of their embryos implanted in the surrogate, mm -hmm. and they got the call after the ruling that their clinic was stopping all such procedures because they didn't know mm -hmm. what the new liability would be. Yeah. So she was devastated. Yeah, that is devastating. And her family is treating it like there was a death in the family. And the New York Times was saying, well, this is weird because under the Roe v. Wade regime, we never talked about it. You had this flexibility in the first yeah. trimester to do whatever you wanted, and yeah. there was no liability because... Whatever. It was great. We got to play God. There but now if they're people, yeah. we can't do that. And they're acting like the Supreme Court of Alabama just decided that they were people. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's a debate. I guess the debate is whether we should honor the rights that they have, but they are people. Oh, no, that's like a, that's like a weird thing to say. You know that, right? Right. No, but like you really know Maybe that. Maybe I'm sheltered. No, I understand in if you liberal circles. You can froze it, freeze an embryo, but you can't put a toddler in a freezer, okay? Clearly these things are different. Yeah, they are different. Well, and that was one thing that came up on the Reason podcast. They said the Alabama Supreme Court or one of the parties was saying that IVF clinic storages should be regulated like daycares. What? See. What? Yeah, and that reaction gets at the fact that, okay, no, these things are different. I don't put my kids in daycares either. <laughs> <laughs> For a similar reason. But they're not so different that <laughs> they don't also have rights. That Yeah, just because they're not the same doesn't mean you can just kill them. Yeah, but. right. 
How old is that woman? She's 41. 31. She's 31. Okay. So, hmm. I am also a victim of the culture, the world, whatever you want to call it. Like I was lied to about what it meant to be what it meant to be a woman and what my goals in life should be, where my value is found, how my worth is maintained, all of that. And mm-hmm. believed them until very recently and probably still hold on to some of those lies, um, even subconsciously. And so, I mean, for that reason, I feel obligated to, to be have empathy for this woman. But I can see the truth at the same time. It's as a mom, it's easier for me now to to put myself in that kid's place. And let's put myself, let's say that 31 year old woman wants a child so badly and she can't do IVF now via surrogate. So she goes and adopts a baby. But this adopted baby, when it's 17 finds the article about her mom and she says you tried so hard to get a kid who shared your dna was i the next best thing she wanted a kid of her own yeah what she said and you fought so hard and did this interview because you were so upset and i was just the next best thing because Mm. it mattered to you more to have a child that shared your dna than to have a child to give a life to and you have personal experience with that, but I won't speak for you. I wasn't even thinking of me when I when you were talking because <laughs> well, I, I avoid that. I know. We don't have to go there, but no, it's fine. It's, it's a big part of this conversation. It's yeah. putting your wants above your children and being a parent. That the whole idea, the whole sanctification of parenthood, is found in. Putting someone else before yourself. Hmm. It's heavy. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. I will use this time of emotional vulnerability to pivot. (laughs) The New York Times also pointed out that Republicans are freaking out in the the aftermath Mm. of this ruling. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh, no, of course, we love babies. So we want as much IVF as possible. We're not going to pay attention (laughs) to the contradiction. In fact, Mike Pence, he of the Mike Pence rule, where you don't, you're not alone with anyone who's yeah. not your wife, had a child via IVF, and he wants to <gasps> he make it. Yeah, I didn't know that until that scandalous. This is one of those moments where I feel like maybe it is me that's changed and not the party because, <laughs> like, corporate shill is not exactly my brand. And that's just what that feels like to me. Well, it's like during COVID, they're like, these government shutdowns have taken so many women out of the workplace. And the rest of us were like, yeah, isn't that great? They can be with their kids. And they're like, no, we need to get them back to work. The, the Republicans. Yes. We the need Republicans, to get mom back yeah. to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to get mom back to work. I mean, that was like an RNC trademark talking point. Mm-hmm. But enough about that. My favorite reaction to the ruling was on MSNBC. Mm. And some of you have probably already heard this clip, but there was an article in Politico co-authored by this lady that I'm about to show you. And this clip went semi-viral. She got mad because she said that her critics were taking it out of context. So she posted a longer clip on her X feed 
of her explaining why Christian nationalists are going to take over if Trump wins re-election. Great. And why that would be bad. So let's, it's two minutes long. Let's listen. I've talked with a lot of experts on this and I've seen it myself with my reporting, Michael, which is that the base of the Republican Party has shifted, right? Remember when Trump ran in 2016, a lot of the mainline evangelicals wanted mm-hmm. nothing to do with the divorced, uh, you know, real estate mogul who right. had cheated on his wife and with a porn star and all of that, right? So what happened was he was surrounded by this more extremist element. You're going to hear words like Christian nationalism, like the new apostolic reformation. These are groups that you should get very uh, very schooled on because they yeah. have a lot of power in Trump's circle. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that re- not, unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm-hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem <gasps> with that is that they are determining man Men, mm-hmm. it is men, yeah, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism. For, mm-hmm. Catholicism, for instance, it's been used for good in social justice campaigns. Right. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama. This week, that judge is connected to that dominionist uh, faction Mm -hmm. in talking about um, a lot of other issues, including surrogacy, IVF, uh, you know, sex education in schools. There's a lot in addition. And therein lies the rub, Dexter, because... And that man you heard talking is Michael Steele, the former head of the RNC. Mm. She's these people are very, very good at like decorating the things that they're saying because they're really stupid, <laughs> but they sound so smart. But don't be embarrassed, audience. If that sounded familiar, but you're not quite sure where she got that idea, I'll quote it for you. If you look at the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. So not not Congress or the Supreme Court. <laughs> and if it was good enough for Thomas Jefferson, who we can all agree was not an Orthodox Christian... I guess we've just... This is the point that we've 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 devolved so far, um, and it makes me think of those articles in the news stories that talk about how like the younger generations now are so far removed um, from history or a proper education that they don't know what the Holocaust was. And that's without President Kanye putting Nick Fuentes in charge of the curriculum. And what? That was sorry. That was really a deep cut. In the paragraph before that, which I'll concede is lesser known, but we should be familiar with our founding documents. Yeah. It says, talking about why they're writing this when yeah. they're leaving Great, Great, Britain, Great Britain, they say, well, we should give reasons for assuming the equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle yeah. us. 
Okay. So they but talked she's about not even arguing for laws of nature. No, she said natural law is this scary Christian nationalist thing, unless you're Catholic or MLK. Right. Um, and your rights don't come from God. But literally, the foundation of America said both of those things right up top. So what would she, where does she, I guess, let's do a Socratic method. Where do rights come from? I mean, she said and Congress and the Supreme Court. Congress. But, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but I was listening to Oren McIntyre over at The Blaze mm -hmm. talked about her. And he said, well, she's just trying to institute her whatever woke religion in place of Christianity. And that's the post-1964 understanding of America. And she's just saying that's what it always has been instead of what it actually was. But hmm, that's okay. That's so shallow, though, because at one point the Supreme Court thought that, you know, whatever it was, women were too stupid. To, some women were too stupid to have babies. What yeah, some, three or four generations of imbeciles is enough. I think yeah. that was Buck v. Bell or, upholding uh, state sterilization policies. Yeah, Or if, like, let's just play with the same playing cards that the left does with us i mean at one point slavery was okay mm -hmm. so are things true and right or wrong or no is every, everything's just subjective or just living in different realities it's just all screw it just yeah it's all about power and i'm in power so how dare you point out facts that question my narrative and so she's just reading in how she thinks i guess the government works now back to the beginning and so that's why I think a responsible um, political renewal will look to our heritage, what this country was built to be, rather mm -hmm. than whatever they make up. It's just you're going to have a lot more persuasive power saying, hey, we've done this. We know it works. We can make it work again versus I'm going to dictate whatever I want. It's not just about what we want. We've had over almost 250 years of experience with this experiment now mm. we've gone a little off the rails mm. sure but i think a lot of that comes from a rejection of that original idea instead of an application of it and this is why i mentioned oren mcintyre it's worth talking about his argument a little bit because he didn't like the fact that she was saying christian nationalists believe that the government exists to protect your rights or whatever you get them from God, but a lot of Christian nationalists mm. believe that government is still there to protect rights. Yeah. He has a more... We are of those Christian, Christian nationalists. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So he critiqued that, and he even said on his show that he's going to get in trouble for saying it. Mm. And I don't... He's not a libertarian, but some anarchists say similar things, like the government is just an organized group Cartel. of thugs. Yeah. Or like what... Um, what the prophets told the Israelites back when they wanted a king. It's like, okay, you'll get a king, but he's going to take your men and your wives yeah. and your money. What? Well, And that's a lot of the case. <laughs> well, yeah, and the modern state definitely does all of that. But I had in my notes, well, yeah, self-government is hard. Mm -hmm. Our government was instituted with under Lockean principles, we cannot enforce the law of nature that says you have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can't, um, you can't enforce that as a bunch of individuals. You need a yes. common judge yeah. 
to make sure that works. And that's why we created the government with limited powers to do that. Mm -hmm. To the extent it doesn't protect our rights in that way, then we have the duty to make it do that. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that the government is great at it, but that's what I mean by saying self-governments are. That's why you have to pay attention. You have to vote for people that will do a better job than a worse job. I'm also comfortable saying self-government is imperfect. I mean, oh, all yeah. systems, so long as they're run by human beings, are imperfect. You just have to find the least imperfect one in which the errors are less egregious than others. I have had this, you know, debate with others about um, socialism versus capitalism. Versus, yeah, economics. Yeah. Um, it's not perfect, but it's better than the rest. I have this real problem with like what 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 do philosophers call the moral subjectivity so this is the critique that some of my friends were making of Warren McIntyre that's the question that Leo Strauss brought up in natural right and in history mm -hmm. either everything is historically contingent and we like it just because it's our tradition yeah or it's good because our tradition has access to this universal truth and is good in itself mm. Is it good because it's ours or is it good because it's good? Yeah. And you can't, there, you cannot reconcile them. It's either good because it's a principle of natural right. Like yes. Like we've applied reason to the universe and have deduced that these things are true. Yeah. Or it's just, yeah, here's what we came up with. And th it's a mix of both. Like the reason you have a right to a trial by jury to establish whether you have broken the law we have instituted that arrangement because we figured out that that's a better way to achieve justice. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that every country in the world has to have a jury system with 12 people that get to vote whether or not you did something before you can be convicted. Other countries are going to come up with different ways to achieve justice, and they don't have to have a jury system, but the principle is justice. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of... I tried to make it non-American when I was thinking of other traditions that countries have that this woman might object to. Well, the one that always comes <laughs> to mind is sati, right? But, this came up. So I don't know if you saw in the headlines this week, there was a guy in the military who was protesting the Israel-Gaza war. Okay. And he poured gas or whatever on himself and set himself on fire and died. Oh, yikes. Saying, like screaming free Palestine or whatever. Okay. Similarly, in India, they used to have a practice called sati, where uh, wives would put themselves on their husband's funeral pyres when they died. Just screw the kids, or I don't. Yeah, I don't really see, know. But uh, when the British were colonizing them, they said, "Oh, well, we have a tradition <laughs> in our country. We hang people who burn women with their husbands." So you can keep your tradition of sati and we will build our gallows next to your funeral Are pie. you saying we're on the side of colonizers? I mean, in this case, someone was objectively right and someone was wrong. You're trying yeah. to establish justice. India hadn't figured it out yet. But to be clear, I'm what? not saying we have to go invade everyone that's doing uh, justice wrong. Yeah. No, we don't have a right to do that. Right. We can still recognize that they're wrong without being held responsible for stopping them. Yeah, but right. But you first that would first that would presuppose that we as a people, as a collective, have determined what is right to be able to identify as wrong and then reason that we we don't have a right 
to go in and correct it ourselves. And that goes but, back, not to be too Christian nationalist, but that goes to what Jesus said about removing the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Yeah. So we and all have that a requires lot of, resources that we don't have. Yeah, we have a lot of eye surgery that we need to undergo oh, before we try to look at anybody else. Rand Paul, this is why we need Rand Paul. <laughs> see, it comes full circle. I just... and. Uh, I don't know how uh, this this is, has to be like embedded in leftist ideology somewhere because I always run in it, into it with these people is like they're so accepting of moral relativism or moral whatever it is. Um, you still haven't told me what the official name of it is so that I can sound smart. It's moral relativism. Historicism. So that's the sorry if I didn't finish that thought. Leo Strauss's famous book, Natural Right and History. The choice was natural right, universal principle. Yeah. Or history, historical contingency. What is that even? It's mm, that's like stained glass windows in a Catholic church. It means nothing. It's beautiful, but just because the structure is old and sturdy, and a lot of people go there, doesn't mean that what is being taught is true. I, I guess yeah. this is just well, mitism again. No, the historist was the historicist would reject the idea that there is a capital T truth. Okay. And so okay. what you're talking about is just I'm a just, category yeah, error. Was, like, what? This is breath. ours. So it's what it is ours. Okay. Okay, but is it good? Yeah, it's ours. It's a circle. So slavery, Bachabazi, all uh, of that's tradition. Female genital mutilation, that's tradition. Um, I mean, you can reckon. So Hegel, being the foremost of the historicists, could recognize cultures that were further along on his scale of historical development. How can you even make a scale if you don't? Bit well, and this was a critique, but he had, I don't know how much Hegel you want to get into, but he had this theory of the absolute moment where he was standing outside of time and he could see the culmination of all of the controversies in societies, the mm. thesis, theses and antithesis that would become the synthesis of the rational state and free you the lost spirit. me <laughs> yeah i know well that's why i said i don't know how how much hegel you want to get into but he saw historic history as the progressive working out of this dialectic okay between I need you flash have bars. no that's okay you have these ideas that are clashing and with every clash there comes new ideas and mm. through this process you get to the pinnacle mm. and he being the world historical man that he was was outside of time and could see where this progress was headed and it was the german state the prussian model whatever um that where he lived have they reached the pinnacle i mean this was a while ago okay. but yeah he was saying this rational state is being achieved now and mm. africa of course is far behind us and other countries are yeah further right. along <laughs> or in various places on this timeline so you could have a moral judgment that way I suppose. But most people in that school just say that's what it is. It's it's not our responsibility to do anything. That's just what they do over there. And I agree with that. We're not going to go over and be the policeman. But the danger is you go from the historical school to historicism to radical historicism, which you go from Friedrich Nietzsche to Heidegger. Okay. And Heidegger, yes, he was a Nazi, but that's not important for this conversation. He's the one who denied that you could know anything about anything. Oh, okay. 
And so you're just thrown into the world. Nihilism? Or yes. Yeah. Well, in nihilism, even Heidegger critiqued Nietzsche for being too optimistic. Oh, okay. So like he's saying, no, you, there's not even an eternal recurrence of the same or there's no Superman. There's just nothing. Sounds and bleak. You, you're staring into that abyss, but what is you? You oh. don't know anything. Mm. This is probably not good for your soul to dwell on that. I was going to say, if you look at the people who I know like that, just in the public eye, like Jim Carrey is very of that school of thought. Mm. And he's, if you, some clips, I don't, I haven't seen any recent ones, but like five years ago, he was really like sad and schizophrenic. And I don't know, clinically, I'm just saying like on tape, he was odd to watch and you could tell that he was just spiraling. So all of that is don't let your sons become philosophy majors. (laughs) But R.C. Sprawl was a philosophy major, so I mean, just make sure that you have a good grounding when you're reading stuff like that. We kind of got away from IVF in there somewhere. No, that's okay. I think it's, well, but the point being, you either submit to Christianity under this new American (laughs) Taliban, or you're (laughs) a pink-haired nihilist. (laughs) But more seriously, well, then what? What is your option? The point being, back to what I said about the neutral world in Aaron Wren's book, that's a fiction. You're not going to have a liberal marketplace of ideas and, well, you can be whatever and I can be whatever and it'll be okay. The state is going to privilege one over the other. I think, well, we've talked about this on another pod. I think maybe we had the neutral state for like eight years, somewhere between 1990 and 2000. That's almost exactly what Aaron Wren says. Yeah, somewhere in there, the good old days. Yeah, we had our our problems, but Mm -hmm. like we generally agreed on the same truths. Yeah, and you can't have a society unless you do agree on at least if you're having political debates between the 30-yard lines. Mm. Once you start having such wide-ranging debates that yeah. you're going from end zone to end zone, you can't have a country. Yeah, no. And so someone's going to have to win this fight. And I think that's why this journalist was freaking out so much because she sees the threat to what is the ruling idea. No, I mean, it is terrifying. I'm also scared but on the other end of things i'm on the other yard line i guess yeah and i can't you can't just go and talk to a person in a a grocery store and know like what you say next is gonna be okay because everything is so fraught Mm -hmm. my friend mike sabo who we should probably have on the pod at some point has an article about this in the american mind Mm -hmm. which is another website today I'll just read one quote and see what you think. Christian nationalism isn't going away anytime soon. In fact, it'll be here long after Trump exits the national political stage until a solution to the problem of the two Americas is found, until America is either refounded on the woke gods or the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Regime-level battles will keep occurring and with increasing intensity. And that quote Reminds me of something I wanted to get to before we wrap. I think part of the problem is our view of politics has been distorted by the idea that politics just means partisan bickering. Yeah. But the bigger, broader sense of politics is coming together to talk about the common good and reasoning about what the next best step is. Going back to that, we live in the world of prudence Mm. idea. And you can't have politics when the debates are so totalizing. Yeah. And I don't know how to get back to a place 
Destroy where... Facebook. Okay. Well, I mean, I p- honestly think about that. The age of the dawn of technology in terms of so- social media, especially, has made us completely incapable of having actual discussions with people. I see this on holidays and birthdays. People will write things on Facebook to one another that they would never say in person. Like, I know these people intimately. Like mean stuff on birthdays or what do you no, mean? No, no, no. Kind things. Vulnerable oh. things. It's so e- it's very easy to be vulnerable behind, a, 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 you know, from a keyboard or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even before that, you know, you could write things in letters that you'd never say in person. Sure. But most of these capital P politics that you're talking about were often debated in the public square or at the bar or at the saloon or after church or yeah. at someone's dinner table, even in someone's house, you know, you would, you would talk about these things and very passionately, but you'd at least be able to look each other in the eye yeah, and talk about it. I honestly yearn for that. Like I want that badly. Um, well, maybe this nobody's a- willing to do it. So we had to start a dang podcast as my outlet. Well, now maybe this lady is doing us a service then because I heard Ben Shapiro say that he must be a Christian nationalist now. Oh, that's not <laughs> Okay, here we should plug. We do have a short little episode defining Christian nationalism. And it's just Jace and it's only 14 minutes long. We'll link it in the show notes. And so that would be a good segue if you're curious to go and listen to that. That's a good idea. Thank you for always be plugging. Um I also this week just randomly finished Stephen Wolf's book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, and I'm going to try to have him talk to us about it. Oh, you did finish it. Mm-hmm. There you go. It took you long enough. It, yeah. <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> um, I, I guess like tangentially being in this Christian nationalist world, I don't even want to carry that banner because I still don't know like everything that it entails. And no, there and are I people don't... in those groups who I disagree with on pretty, pretty significant things. Oh yeah. And me too. But the point being this lady is saying it's like when the left was calling everyone racist, yeah. they're trying to make this the new racist. So right. it's like, okay, fine. I guess I am. We don't really know what that means. And that's the Oren McIntyre critique saying Christian nationalist makes it sound alien and not, well, it makes it sound like militant. Yeah, it makes it sound icky. Yeah. But his point being, no, that's just America. Yeah. But they're rebranding what America always was as this foreign, icky, Taliban-sounding thing, and it's not. Well, I can already follow, like, just watching that clip. Like, we don't watch any cable news. I no. know a lot of people do. I don't really even consume news daily in this current season. I should, but that's just my life right now. But if normies were to hear that, I can already take it. 10 steps forward and see where it's going so tangentially being a part of this world christian nationalists have maintained no loyalty to trump like they don't even really care for him and so i can see that these people are going to try and make christian nationalists the new evangelical and say like like no those people are not the same like the obese boomers at Cracker Barrel who wear the bedazzled trucker hat that says like MAGA or MAGA or whatever on it are not the same people that are these Christian nationalist intelligentsia class. Like No, but they'll vote for it. Um, I don't know. And when you're talking about down ballot, that gets sort of muddy. 
Oh, and that's something we've talked about Trump before. Trump is its own thing. But the like Laura the Loomer other, people he, might, yeah. The other candidates, that gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but yeah, but they're definitely going to try and equate the two and make them the same. We had another bit of listener mail from a friend of mine from college. Actually, mm-hmm. she recently discovered the show and she said she's been binging the podcast and loves the conversation mm-hmm. that I did been read having. through these. Yeah, they're sweet. Uh, and she said our conversations have been mirroring the ones that she's having with her husband. And when you told me that, I was like, oh, because that's exactly what we wanted when we yeah. started the podcast. I was like, I know that other people are talking about this. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, I know that it's lonely. So definitely yeah and she speaks to that here she's in the medical field and she said in 2020 she became very overwhelmed with all the covid Mm. slash blm media so she gave up uh the bit of news exposure she cared to expose herself to and was in the dark about a lot of political issues yeah she said she doesn't know if i remember the george bush election from back when we (laughs) were in college Uh, but she got a lot of flack for not voting for obama as a black person yeah, fall in line. Right. But she said the truth is she has always voted conservative because her parents did. And as a Christian, she was anti-abortion. And that was pretty much all she understood in politics. Wow. <laughs> She's super unpopular. And then she said, well, fast forward <laughs> to life after lots of college. And she's come mm. back up for air. She's married a strong black man who's yeah, also girl. conservative leaning. And he's opened her eyes to a different narrative than the ma- that the mainstream media doesn't tell. Um, when they first met, she thought some of his beliefs were a little extreme and paranoid, but they generally <laughs> aligned. Me? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he used to call me a statist a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, she said this year, 2024, she's felt compelled to become better educated as it's an election year about what we're voting on and why those things matter. And they're starting to have conversations about their dreams and plans to start a family. And she doesn't want to bury her head in the, sta- in the sand. Uh, she wants to understand the world they're bringing children into and what they can do to protect the best interests of their family. And she said, our podcast has been a digestible format for her to understand some of the more intimidating political topics being tossed around in the media and to learn about the political and social issues that affect her more than she realized. Well, that makes me want to cry. And yeah. I read through those messages. Um, I was like, the best compliment someone had given me in a long time. Yeah, it was really sweet. I was glad she listened to it. She said she also listens at work, and people will now ask her what we were talking about. And wow. That was cool. That was a good ego boost. We should start by saying, go and make a baby. Yes, because now. Because <laughs> we need more of you. So go and make a baby. Pray that it's twins. Get started on that. Um, that's really cool. I do have to say, though, I think there's sort of, I just, uh, um, you don't gain much out of being like, quote, informed or being, quote, up to date. No. It's, um, I really think that if you just familiarized yourself more with the, the concepts, it's like what we, we've talked about most of this podcast is if you try and just study what is true you will be able to bounce everything back off of that. It's like if you just, if you have a thermometer, you can take the temperature of lots of different things. And so if you just, if you familiarize yourself with the meter, then you're pretty much set. Um, I can 
go in and out of news cycles. You know, if I have a new baby or, or whatever, I'm not reading things right now. I'm not reading things. I'm mm-hmm. spending a lot of time outside. And I can just jump back in and I can be like, okay, yep, we're about where we were. Maybe a little bit crazier six months ago. Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not better off really necessarily for it. Sure. No, but it's important when you're thinking about things like family planning. We've been talking about that the mm-hmm. whole episode. When you are scrolling on social media and you come across a business insider headline that says millennials having fewer kids could be a drag on the economy for the next decade. You can step back and go, hmm, my children are not units of economic production. That is a disgusting (laughs) way to think about things. My duty is not to the GDP. Thank you very much. We're singing all day and you can't tame it. High tide, low tide, you know.